The word of God from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9, through 9, A Living Hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you guys this morning. Um, I'm always encouraged whenever I do get to worship with you all this morning on Sunday mornings. Uh, we will be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 in just a minute, but I wanted to get started with a very well-known passage um, by C.S. Lewis. Uh, yes, my son is named Lewis, so there is a connection there. Um, it's from The Weight of Glory. This is probably his most familiar quote. It's probably one that we've underlined, shared social media. Uh, here's what Lewis writes. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So again, probably a familiar passage. I bet many here could have probably finished it before I said it. And it's one, to be honest, that I've kind of been struggling with lately. I would affirm the truth of it. I think all of us would probably say amen to it. But it's one that I find a, a tension in the midst of. I guess the tension that I sense in that quote from Lewis is, you know, we would all agree that we don't want to continue making mud pies in the slums, which honestly has always been a, a strange illustration until I had kids. And now I see my daughter, every time they go outside, she takes the Frisbee and she makes mud pies, actually tacos. She uses the grass as like the lettuce or the cheese. I mean, she always does that. It's like the first thing she wants to do outside. Um, so Lewis is on to something here, but you know, again, all of us would affirm, we don't want to continue making mud pies, but what do we do if we're surrounded by mud pies on a daily basis? What do we do if our uh, desires are too weak? They're not strong, they're not focused on what it would mean to have a holiday at sea. I would, I would guess this is probably something you've been thinking through as a church as y'all been going through the book of Daniel. You may phrase it this way, how do we live as exiles in a place that is not our home you know what do you do when you're asked to eat the king's food and drink his wine what do you do when a giant statue is built and you know you're not gonna be able to worship that what do you do when you're told 
not to pray to a, any god but the king? And these are probably questions you've all been wrestling with, and as a church, I'm sure, um, as someone who's familiar with Daniel as well, they're not always easy answers to this. But we do have the word of God, as you just were read, and I do think that Peter in 1 Peter gives us three ideas, three things, three answers to that question of how do we live as New Testament exiles? How do we live as people who desire that holiday at sea and not just content to make mud pies? How do we do that? So I've got three points today. The first one is that Peter reminds us in verse 3 of a new reality. Three encouragements, three reminders. This first one is a new reality. We have a new reality as believers in Christ. Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here, Peter tells us that we've been born again, which is probably a phrase we're familiar with. Culturally in the South, you probably hear that quite a bit, a born-again Christian. It's a good way to differentiate between someone that's culturally Christian or someone that's Christian in title and someone who's had an encounter with Christ and they're a new creation. It's also a, a very familiar idea in the Bible. I mean, here Peter says we've been given new birth. I think of the book of Ezekiel, where it says the Lord's going to take a heart of stone and give a heart of flesh to his people. I think of the conversation, you probably think of the conversation with Nicodemus, right? Unless someone is born again, they will not see the kingdom of God. So this is something that happens throughout scripture. Paul himself would say if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So this is a very familiar idea, and yet it's one we often quite easily forget about, don't we? We have a new reality as believers. What we're doing here on Sunday morning is evidence of that new reality. We are new creatures with new hearts, new habits, and a new living hope, which was just read to us from 1 Peter. And did you see the center of this new reality? The reason behind it, the catalyst behind this new reality it's God. God in his mercy brings this about through the resurrection of his son. The resurrection changes everything for us as believers. Because of what Christ did, because Christ was raised after three days, we can't go about business as usual. Even though the world would keep pressing us into that, we have a new reality, which, as you could probably guess, would lead us to ask this question. Is this new reality what we're walking in? Again, to use that image of mud pies. Are we content with the mud pies around us? Things that aren't bad in themselves. I don't chastise my daughter for making mud pies. I'd be a pretty poor dad if I did. I don't always understand the mud pies. As someone who hates being dirty, the idea of mud and just making mud pies is not one that appeals to me. It's perfectly right for her to do that. In some ways, it's normal. But as believers... We have this new reality, this new reality that Peter writes about. We have a, a new, a future inheritance. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. We have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I guess my question for us this morning, just on a simple basis to think through, is, is this new reality what we're walking in the midst of this morning? It's all around us. We just sang about this new reality. We just read scripture together about this new reality. We're looking at God's word right now and thinking about this new reality. But as soon as we leave these doors and go to lunch, are we still in the midst of this new reality? Is that on the forefront of our minds? And I'm very aware that in a lot of ways I'm preaching to myself in this. 
I'm preaching to myself. I'm very good at compartmentalizing my life. I don't know if anybody else feels the same. My Sundays look a certain way. My Monday mornings look a certain way. My Wednesdays look a certain way. And I can easily compartmentalize my life into, well, Sunday morning is church time. Sunday afternoon is NFL time and nap time. And asking myself why I play fantasy football every year. And we can't control it. We think we can. It just breaks our hearts. Again, preaching to myself. Or Wednesdays, that's again church time. Or I'm beginning to gather with friends at church. It's time together. But then maybe I get together with friends who aren't a part of my church or unbelievers. That's different. And we can just easily compartmentalize our lives. When in Peter's mind, in the word of God, it's just one clear vision. A new reality. We've been born again. We've been given new birth into this new reality. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John writes that. And here he's explaining that tension between love for God and love of the world. He's very clear. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. I read that verse, and I still feel my heart pulled in that direction. And even, I think even more important for our text this morning, John reminds us, like Peter, that the world's passing away, along with its desires. That's helpful to think about. Not that things that we compartmentalize are bad, not that the NFL is bad, or time with friends is bad, or reading books, or playing games, or listening to music. They're all good things. I think part of the tension that I'm feeling, and I wonder if you feel it as well, is am I seeing these things as the New Testament sees them? They're passing away. Lewis would say they're mud mud pies, mud pies. That's the challenge this morning. We've been given a new birth into a new reality with new eyes. And I pray that we use them well. And I think one thing that we can practically do that we are doing this morning, that you are doing as a church, is gathering together in the midst of this new reality. You're speaking the truth together about this new reality. You're hopefully praying together about this new reality. Isn't it amazing how community can shape who we are as people, for better, for worse? That's the beautiful thing that I'm reminded of every time I gather together with the church family. I know in America it's so easy to make it just another thing that we do, another thing that we compartmentalize. But gathered together this morning, we are believers in Christ. We have maybe very different, but we have a shared reality. And that's that we've been born again to a living hope. So helpfully, I think Peter reminds us, he encourages us. How do we live as New Testament exiles? We walk in this new reality. We're aware of it. We're thinking about it. We're constantly pushing each other into this new reality. Secondly, and we'll probably spend a bit more time here, not only do we have a new reality, we've been born again into a living hope. We have a glorious inheritance. We have a glorious inheritance. And I take this from verse 4. We have a glorious inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. What a beautiful passage of scripture. The idea of inheritance may be kind of a difficult one for us as modern Christians to grasp. Something that's kind of foreign to us. 
I think partially, too, I think it may be a struggle for us as believers because we don't always know what the future with Christ is going to look like. And we have things in Scripture that we'll talk about in just a minute, but we don't know exactly what eternity is going to be look, looking like. We don't exactly know what our day-to-day lives are going to be like in eternity. It, it's almost kind of like a game show in some sense. You know, let's make a deal or the price is right, which is what we teachers watch in the summertime. Because <laughs> we're not exciting. But it's like there's, you know, there's a prize behind the door. And we know it's something good. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a furniture. Maybe it's a motorcycle. Maybe it's a trip. We don't know what it is. We know it's good. But in some ways, that can kind of cause anxiety, can't it? I know my new inheritance, my reality with Christ, will be glorious and wonderful. But uh, what's it going to be like completely? And in those instances, it's kind of easy for us to just take a step back and say, I'll just stick with what I'm known, what's familiar for me. I don't think it's completely like that. I think that's how we think about the future. What we do have in Scripture are several images and examples of what our inheritance is going to be like. I think of Matthew 13, 44, a very simple verse, but the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Or Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Or maybe even more clearly, we have Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, which addresses this idea of inheritance directly. Y'all know the story. Son goes and squanders his inheritance, spends it all on reckless living, comes back to his father, and what does the father do? Well, let me read it for us. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. I know we're in the already but not yet. These are realities for us in Christ Jesus. But we do see through a glass darkly. And that we are sons of Christ. Imagine what that wedding feast is going to be like. It's almost like in that parable you can kind of hear the celebration going on in the feast. That is our glorious inheritance. We're not just new creatures. We're sons and daughters. Christ has put rings on our fingers and shoes on our feet. Everything that we have is Christ. I mean, the New Testament clearly says we're fellow heirs with Christ. That's kind of too lofty, too difficult for us to grasp, the glory of it. But that's here what Peter is reminding us of. We will one day have a new home, a new Jerusalem, with new bodies, resurrected bodies. A lot of us probably say amen to that. Though again, we're not sure what that's going to look like. We're told that there's going to be no more death, no more tears, no more disease, no more injustice, no more war. This is our inheritance. And we are given several uh, descriptions of this inheritance, which, which I do want to just talk about briefly. We're told that this inheritance is imperishable. It's imperishable, Peter tells us. It cannot be broken or destroyed. It's not fragile. It's not subject to decay or change. It's not like the store Five Below, which my family loves. Anybody love Five Below in here? Man, you can take your kids there, and they can live like kings and queens. Because you can say, get anything in the store you want. 
Because you're like, it's $5 and below. <laughs> oh, man. We just had our fall break from school, and I think we spent like an hour in there. My kids just looking around, deciding. And then they always pick the random object. We were like, really? My daughter, I think, picks Skittles <laughs> at the end of the day, which is probably a better choice than she often picks. Um, and she'll get more use out of. <laughs> but then it caused fights among her brothers. Anyways, they all wanted Skittles. But I think of Five Below. Again, I love Five Below, but what, what I keep finding happening in our house, and this just happened recently with my son, he got a, a Black Panther remote-controlled car from Five Below. <gasps> Pretty nice. But what's happened is that that car doesn't function the same way it once did when we first bought it. And he keeps taking it to me, and I keep saying, buddy, it was a $5 remote control car. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it doesn't work. And he's just like, what? I don't, fix it, fix it. I can't. It's perishable. It's fading. It's something that is here today and it's gone tomorrow. And, you know, as a parent, you can't throw it away because they'll sit in the trash. You got to wait till they're asleep. You know, I can bury it in the trash. And before we start, you know, dunking on four-year-olds, again, we're similar, right? We're connected to these perishable things. Cars, homes, jobs, retirement plans. Not that they're bad themselves, but we often forget that these things are perishable. They're fleeting. They're vanity, the writer Ecclesiastes would say. And we have to keep that new reality focused in our minds and in our hearts. But isn't it wonderful that Peter reminds us that our inheritance is not imperishable. Our inheritance can't be purchased at five below. It's imperishable. It's also undefiled. Our inheritance is undefiled. It's, it's not tainted by sin. It's not a product of the fall. Which is maybe one of the hardest things for us to grasp because everything in our experience is tainted by the fall. Our friendships, our hearts, everything, even creation itself Paul writes in Romans, is groaning under the weight of this. It's waiting for redemption, for the revealing of the sons of God. Even the best of things in this world is under the curse. It's under the fall. But not so with our inheritance. One day, a new Jerusalem will come out of heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband, pure and undefiled, and we will dwell here forever. You probably know this, but the streets will be pure gold the nations will bring their glory into it. And we will no longer need the sun to shine in its light because the Lamb himself will light the city with its glory. This is our inheritance. Again, difficult to wrap our brains around. But man, isn't it good to think about it? Gathered together as a faith family. Our inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's pure. It's also unfading. Our inheritance is unfading. It's not going to fade like the leaves that we're seeing outside right now or the gardens that we plant in the summer. It's not like beauty that grows old. It's not like things that are great that fade away. Everything in life is transient. Not so with our inheritance. So, I know those are three quick and helpful descriptors from Peter. But I think they're helpful, too, in going back to our original quote from C.S. Lewis. How do we go from just being content with mud pies 
How do we go from having weak desires to stronger desires? I think part of the simple solution here is just letting Scripture into our hearts that talk about our future inheritance, our future reality, our future hope. Is that in the things that we sing together? Is that in the, the passages that we read together? Is that the things that we talk about? Or is that things that we just compartmentalize and talk about on Sundays? Again, preaching to myself more than anyone. Do we hold it up in worship? I love that that's how Peter opens this passage. He's worshiping. He's praising God who's done this, who's brought this about. He's praising God who's given us new birth and given us this inheritance. That's the natural reaction to this. Are we as believers holding it up? Are you at Sojourn leveraging your small groups to this end? After church, if you hang out together, which is always an awesome thing to see, are you discussing those things? I know sometimes that can be awkward and uncomfortable. I know especially if you didn't grow up in a home that did this, it can feel really awkward or uncomfortable. But is it worth bringing up? Is it worth talking about? Is it worth enjoying and hoping for together? Even when I think about my own family, it can be a struggle to bring these things up. I can bring up, which we've been doing recently, a catechism question, and my kids are like, eh, not interested. <laughs> but isn't that worth bringing up and thinking through? Or on a personal level, does what we read, watch, listen to point us toward this new reality, this new inheritance? Do the podcasts we listen to are they only true crime? Not bad. Very interesting. Or they point us toward our inheritance. Is what we read only fantasy or biography? Or does it point us toward this new reality, this glorious inheritance? And I would wonder even, what is, what is one thing you could do today? To maybe put this on your radar so that throughout the week you don't forget about this inheritance. Is there a song you could listen to? Is there a passage of scripture that you could try to memorize? Is there a friend that you could talk with over lunch about this? I love that as a believer, in the midst of this life and the difficulties, which you know we just talked about earlier with singing, the midst of wars and all these other things happening, as a Christians, we have so much to hope in that we can be encouraged by. Are we doing this together? So not only do we have a new reality, but we have a glorious inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. Last but certainly not least, we have a precious and active faith. A precious and active faith. A precious faith. There's two things in the text that seem to be precious. One we just talked about, it's very clear, our inheritance. It is priceless, it's precious. It's unfading and imperishable. I find it fascinating that Peter also seems to describe our faith in similar ways. Our faith is more precious than what? Than gold, which perishes. Our faith is guarding us for a salvation that's yet to be revealed. I wonder if Peter, just like he describes our inheritance as imperishable, I wonder if he could describe our faith in the same way. Our faith is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept guarding us for salvation, because that faith is given to us from God. It doesn't mean it's perfect, right? But I do think it needs to be said in a time and in a world where faith is often belittled, 
Faith is weak. Faith is a crutch. Faith is something to be embarrassed by. It's not intellectual or elite. No, the Bible time and time again reminds us that our faith is precious. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few find it. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many find it. Our faith, I think, is precious because it's, it's not the norm. It's not common. It's not on every street corner. It's not in every household. Again, narrows the way that leads to life, and few find it. Our faith is precious. It's more precious than lottery tickets. It's more precious than vacations, dream vacations even. Do we see it as such? It's precious because it's not common. It's also, I think, precious because it's powerful and active. It's powerful and active in the text. It's a faith that Peter tells us that no suffering, no trial can, can crush, can destroy. I mean, even looking back, verse 6, you rejoice in this even though for a, a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. Why do we suffer grief and various trials? Verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is precious. Our faith is powerful. Our faith is keeping us. I know it doesn't always feel that way. It often feels wavering, depending on the day-to-day basis. But he who began a good work in you will keep it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our faith is a gift of God. It's precious. It's going gonna, it's gonna to allow us to overcome all trials and endure all trials. There's no suffering or trial that can break it. It's going to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And finally, it's, it's active. Our faith is active. And I get this from verse 8. And this is probably where, we'll, where we will end for the day. Though you have not seen him, Christ, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Our faith is not passive. Our faith is active. Even though we don't see Christ currently, what are we doing? We're loving him. Even though we don't see him currently, we believe in him. And we're filled with joy. I mean, there's, there's really three words that describe our faith in this text. One is love. The other is belief. And the third is joy. Though you do not now see him, you love him. Our faith is characterized by a love for Christ. Though you don't currently see him, what do you do? You believe in him. And lastly, and this is the one that the text emphasizes the most, our faith is characterized by joy. By joy. Joy inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, there's lots of things in life that we are finding joy in. I mean, think about your hobbies, your free time. Think about when you have an hour today, what you're going to do. You're going to do something that you derive joy from. And again, that's a good thing. It's a God-given thing. But joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, I mean, how beautiful is that verse? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Sojourner, are we filled with that joy today? Or are we settling for 
lesser joys. Again, ideally those joys would point us to this greater joy, this joy inexpressible and filled with glory. That's an option to us. I love that when we talk about the idea of inheritance, Peter doesn't say that we just have to wait. We just have to grin and bear it. We just have to wait. Or like the kid at school who's just looking out the window, just ready for the bell to ring. That's not our reality as Christians. Yes, we have an inheritance that's coming in its fullness, but today, right this very moment, we can enjoy and rejoice in Christ currently. Even though we don't see him, we love him. We rejoice in joy inexpressible and filled with glory. Again, the beauty of a community is we can come and do that together. Singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs, reading scripture, listening to the word. So if you're here today and you're by chance an unbeliever, the good news for you today is that you can have this joy in Christ Jesus. Repent of your sins, the Bible would say, believe in Christ. You can have joy inexpressible and filled with glory. You have an inheritance that can be waiting for you. If you're here and you're a believer, this is already yours and mine. This is ours. This is the inheritance of Sojourn Church. And we can walk in that today. We can experience that today. I hope, by God's grace, you've experienced that this morning. And I know in my preaching style, I like to ask a lot of questions. Are you experiencing this joy? Are you experiencing this? Do you think about your inheritance this way? Is this your new reality? I know it's very easy for me and how I teach and preach to just beat up. It feels like I've been beat up on people. I don't want you to leave here feeling like, well, I'm just not good. I'm going to have weak desires forever. My hope is that in reading and thinking through this scripture together, that you got that taste. That you thought about your inheritance this morning. Because there is no time limit. You, you have to stop thinking about your inheritance. Think about it all day. And only grow in hope and joy. My hope is that this morning, all of us would taste and see that the Lord is good. That we'd be reminded of the inheritance that's coming. That we would walk in the midst of this new reality. That we would be encouraged. I pray that it would, you know, specifically for you as a church, that it would cause some of you to take risks for the gospel. Invite that person over. Text that person this week and tell them that you're praying for them. Take time, maybe if you don't have a personal devotion or study time. Take time this week to just, okay, I'm just going to focus on 1 Peter 1. The hardest thing in this can be just getting it started. But don't neglect the small things, Sojourn. I think sometimes we think, well, if I'm not praying three times a day and throwing to a lion's den, I'm not living my faith out actively. Or if I'm not rejecting the king's food and his wine, I'm not living it out actively. Faithful Christian obedience is those things, but it's also thinking about our inheritance, walking in our new reality, and having a living and active, powerful faith. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just the conviction I feel when I read this passage. But I also thank you for the hope that I feel as well. And I pray that that hope would be resonating with brothers and sisters across the room. Help us to be focused on our future inheritance. Help us to live well as New Testament exiles. Help us to be shaped more by your word than 
the people that we work with, the friends that we hang out with. Help us, as believers, like iron sharpens iron, to sharpen one another, to point one another towards the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And I pray for some, even if it's just one in this room today, even if it's just me preaching the sermon, that we would, this would act as like a springboard to cause us to, to consider our inheritance and to not settle for things that are fading and perishable. Instead, help our hearts to be captured by Christ. Help our hearts to be filled with joy, inexpressible, and filled with glory. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would do this among us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.